Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it is a joy to be with you here this morning. Uh, like Adam said, my name is Isaac. Uh, I'm the youth pastor. I oversee the children also at Grace Chapel. Uh, with me today is my wife, uh, Kathy, and my son, Gideon, uh, my daughter, Hope, and then Esther and Eve uh, wanted to get out of here. They've, uh, they didn't want to hear the sermon today, so they're down in, in the children's, uh, children's church today. It's always a joy to be uh, here and opening up God's Word today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Luke chapter 18. As you're opening there, I know it'll be on the screen, it'll show up later. We're going to be like five minutes into the sermon before we read the scripture. Uh, but as you're turning there, I have some questions. Waiting is hard, isn't it? Kids, what about waiting in line for recess? That can be hard. Teens, uh, what's it like to wait for your friends to arrive before you can hang out with them? That can be hard. Uh, adults, what's it like to wait for the repairman to show up in the time slot when he said he'd come, especially after you took off work, to get home, to be there when he shows up? What's it like to wait for that? I think for all of us, how is the wait for, the, uh, wait for coming, uh, the thing coming in the Amazon package you ordered uh, that's now delayed? I don't know about you, but I hate waiting so much at an intersection that I find myself speeding up when the light turns yellow or if I'm honest, a little bit reddish, so I don't have to wait that extra two to three minutes. Uh, I live close to Lincoln Southeast High School. Uh, recently, a van stalled uh, leading up to the roundabout right in front of our house just before school started. And within no time, there was a long backup in front of our house. Uh, within seconds of waiting, a vehicle 10 cars back jumped the curb up into the median, across the grass, jumped back onto the street, and you might be surprised, it wasn't so that he could get there to get out and help push the van out of the way. He wanted to leave. He didn't want to wait at all. And so he sped off, letting everyone know how upset he was that he had to wait at all. Those are the easy ones, the waiting that's hard. But what about the really hard ones? Like when you and your spouse have been trying to have a child for a long time, and it's just not coming. I remember how hard it was for my wife, Kathy, and I after we had decided to start our family through adoption before having biological kids. Year after year, we waited, and the bank account just didn't seem to be making much progress, getting us to a place where we could adopt. We were married nine years before our son Gideon joined our family from Ethiopia. Waiting for us was brutal. For some of you, you're waiting for grown children who you raised in the church to love Jesus and they've walked away from Jesus and the church and won't listen to your pleadings and to your arguments to return. Some have been waiting for decades. Brutal. For others, you have hard work situations. You just want to do your job, but your boss has it out for you and won't ever give you a break. And time doesn't seem to do any help. Waiting is hard. Waiting can be particularly hard when we are mistreated by others. Life can become unbearable and intolerable when we're mistreated by our parents or our spouse or our kids, our friends, our coworkers, our employers, and in our parable today, our enemies. And more and more, those who follow Christ are being mistreated socially because of their faith in Jesus. So I ask you this morning... 
When has there been a time in your life when you have experienced mistreatment by someone? Maybe it's in your past. Maybe you're living it right now. Being mistreated is hard, isn't it? Especially when it's ongoing. Especially when you've tried to make it stop and it won't. I believe that as believers, we're prone to discouragement and despair when we experience ongoing mistreatment. We do our best to turn the other cheek. We decide to love those who mistreat us and pray for them. We try to talk with our adversary in order to get them to stop mistreating us. And when that doesn't work, we distance ourselves and we do everything we can to avoid them. But in the end, when the mistreatment doesn't stop, we throw up our hands in discouragement and despair and give up. The original audience of Luke's gospel was prone to this discouragement and despair too. Just prior to our verses this morning, Luke writes down Jesus' words about when the kingdom of God would finally come. If you skim Luke 17, 20 through 37, you'll see that Jesus tells the Pharisees that the kingdom of God is in the midst of them, meaning that when Jesus came in the flesh, the kingdom of God did too. After answering the Pharisees, Jesus pulls his disciples together and explains to them that when he returns from heaven, that's when his kingdom will be consummated or would come into completed reality. And that that will happen when they're not expecting it. It'll happen when they're going about their everyday lives, like in the days of Noah, when the flood came. Or in the days of Lot, when fire and sulfur rained down from heaven. Jesus tells them that he will return and consummate the kingdom of God the blink of an eye. He wants them to always be ready for Jesus' return because because when it comes, it'll come without warning. And it'll be huge. And no one will miss it. That is what Jesus said to his audience in the verses preceding our verses this morning. But to Theophilus, who Luke wrote his gospel account for, and the rest of Luke's original audience, Jesus had spoken these words a minimum of 30 to 40 years prior. And Jesus hadn't yet returned. His kingdom still wasn't consummated. That meant the kingdom of God wasn't fully realized. Everything wasn't perfect. Sin was still present and life just as hard. This made believing in Jesus and situating one's life around him hard. And not just that, there were lots of people, parents and spouses and children and friends and co-workers, employers and enemies who mistreated Christ's followers. Everything wasn't rainbows and unicorns. So when Jesus' disciples and Luke's audience and even us today experience mistreatment, What is to be done? And how does that believer not fall into discouragement and despair when the mistreatment continues? Jesus tells them then and us today the answer through the parable of the persistent widow. By way of brief reminder, a parable is a short story or saying that illustrates a truth using a comparison or a hyperbole or simile. Jesus loves parables. Over one-third of Jesus' instruction was done via parables. A parable makes a person lean in and listen. It is often something that needs to be chewed on and thought about for a long time. And in today's passage, Jesus, uncharacteristic of what he does in most of his parables, says exactly what the parable means. Our big idea for this morning is Jesus calls us to a lifestyle of persistent prayer as we wait for his return. Jesus calls us to a lifestyle of persistent prayer 
as we wait for his return. And just to situate us in the idea of the kingdom of God, and specifically Jesus consummating the kingdom of God, let me remind you that the storyline of the entire Bible begins in the Garden of Eden, comes to its climax in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and culminates in his return. When Jesus returns, he will bring his redemptive work to consummate reality and will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. So let's read the parable of the persistent widow, pray, and dig in. Luke 18, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the righteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Uh, Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, here's where we're headed today. I want to explain the parable at a 30,000-foot view. Then we'll focus on the unjust judge, the persistent widow, and then bring it home by asking how we might apply this to our lives today. Sound all right? Let's go. First, the 30,000-foot view of the parable. Unlike most of his parables, Jesus comes right out and tells the meaning of the parable. Verse 1 says, And Jesus told them this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. As believers await the consummation of the kingdom, they are to persistently pray and not lose heart. And Jesus, to illustrate this, tells them this parable. Essentially, in some random town there lived a judge and a widow. Some mistreatment or injustice has happened, or more precisely is continuing to happen to the widow. In order to get the mistreatment to stop, the widow keeps coming to the judge in this random town to get the mistreatment from her adversary to stop by the judge giving her justice. The judge who doesn't give a rip about the woman or about what others think about him, refuses to give her the justice she deserves. However, after a while, the judge gets sick of the woman's persistent coming to him for justice, and so to get her to stop, gives her what she wants because he wants to be done with her. (laughs) And that, friends, is the story Jesus uses to teach his disciples to always pray and not lose heart. It seems like a weird story to encourage his followers to not get discouraged and not to fall into despair when they experience mistreatment as they await his return. But let's zoom in a bit, taking a look at the unjust judge and the persistent widow and see what Jesus is trying to tell us today. So second, the unjust judge. He's a scoundrel. Verse 2 tells us he neither fears God nor respects man. This is in direct contrast to what God expects from his judges. Look at what God says to and about judges from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6.13 says this, 
It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. That's in stark contrast to what the judge says about himself. When God says, it is the Lord your God you shall fear, the judge says here in verse 2, I neither fear God nor respect man. Now, everyone's favorite book of the Bible. Now listen to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15. Here's what God says. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Again, notice the stark contrast between what God says and what the judge is doing. Where God says not to do injustice in the court, not to show partiality to the poor or deference to the rich, but shall judge one's neighbor in righteousness, we see the judge carrying out injustice by not deciding on the widow's behalf. We see him giving partiality, in this case to the widow's adversary, and we see him choosing unrighteousness regarding the widow's situation. So it's clear he doesn't respect others. From his own words and his own behavior, we see that he's not lying when he says that he doesn't care about God or respect his neighbor. Uh, What a scoundrel. It gets worse. In verse 4, when the widow continues coming to him to get justice, he refuses. He uses his power and position to, to thwart the very thing he's supposed to do, namely, to establish justice where it isn't. The widow comes repeatedly for justice, and he repeatedly refuses to give it, so that we see that he's a stubborn scoundrel to boot. Then in verses 4 through 5, he decides to give her justice after all. We might ask, is he having a change of heart and coming to his senses? The text doesn't say that at all. It wasn't because he came to his senses. It wasn't even because he believed her and finally did the right thing. Instead, he gives her justice because of her annoying persistence. He knows the widow will not stop, ever. Where the ESV translates the word beat me down and the NASB and NIV translate wear me down, the more literal translation of the verb used means to give a black eye. The judge is so afraid that the widow will continue to persist that she will ratchet up her annoyance and either metaphorically or physically beat him down. So he caves and gives her the justice that she deserves in order to be done with her. What a scoundrel. Again, that's the parable Jesus uses to help us always to pray and not lose heart when we experience mistreatment as we await Jesus' return. We'll have to unpack that further in a bit as it seems weird and wrong to equate God with the unjust judge. But let's parking lot the judge and turn to the widow. Third, the persistent widow. What do we learn about her that might help us? Verse 3 tells us that she lives in the same city as the unjust judge. We learn that while she is being refused justice, she kept coming to the judge seeking justice from her adversary. The word adversary means one who is continuously antagonistic to another. This tells us that the injustice she is experiencing isn't a one-time event, but it's an ongoing situation. While her adversary is in the wrong, he is able to continually antagonize her because the unjust refuses to intervene. And as a widow, she is one of the most vulnerable people in the city. 
and more often than not, has no one to help her or protect her and has very little resources. The only tool at her disposal is her persistence, and she's had it with the adversary and the judge. So using her tool of persistence, she's just going to wear the judge down until he relents and gives her the justice that she deserves. And that's what she does. In time, because she's so persistent, she finally wears him down, he gives in and gives her what she wants in order to get rid of her. She's a bulldog. She's persistent and assertive and won't quit. Ever. Not until she gets what she wants, what is right, and what's deserved. Jesus here uses the widow as the picture to help believers always pray and not lose heart when they are mistreated as they wait for him to return. He elevates her persistence and her unwillingness to quit. He uses her as an example of the type of attitude and behavior he desires from her fo- of, of his followers to have regarding prayer when they experience mistreatment, injustice, and difficulty. But doesn't this sound a little bit weird and a bit wrong? If Jesus is trying to teach us that we're to always pray and not lose heart, why this story kind of seems like a swing and a miss for Jesus. Why portray God the way Jesus does, as an unjust judge? Many believers already feel like God acts like the unjust judge, only giving them what they want after they wear him down, after they annoy him enough that he will give in and reluctantly give what is deserved. There's just something about this parable that just doesn't feel right. It doesn't sit well with us, and I don't think it should. Until we stop and think about it and see what Jesus is actually doing and saying here, I think we'll come away with some not-so-good conclusions. If we take this parable at face value, we can hear this. When you're mistreated and turn to God in prayer, just be more persistent. Be unwilling to quit, ever. Keep badgering God, the unjust judge, until he relents and begrudgingly gives it to you. And always remember, God gives you this justice not because he cares about you, but because he sees you as an annoyance, because of your persistent request for him to do what he's supposed to do. The validity of your concern that you keep bringing to him doesn't really matter to him. All he really wants to do is to be done with you. If you just wear him down, you'll win the day, then finally the mistreatment will stop. And he can get back to doing whatever he was doing before you barged in with your annoying, time-consuming prayers. Is that what Jesus is trying to say in this parable? As he's attempting to get us to always pray and not lose heart? It doesn't make sense why Jesus would tie in our need to be people of persistent prayers. We wait for his return, especially when we're experiencing ongoing mistreatment with a God who acts like a self-centered judge who will only act on our behalf when we wear him down. Frankly, spending eternity with a God like that doesn't sound like something we're all that interested in. Not only does that not sound like how God reveals himself throughout Scripture, but it sounds demoralizing and discouraging and will undoubtedly lead to despair. And the feelings of discouragement and despair are the very things Jesus is fighting against in our verses today. So what's going on here? What is Jesus trying to do here? I think we uh, understand and can relate more easily with the widow. The feelings of powerlessness 
and being overlooked and like we don't matter and sometimes annoyingly persistent. But persistently praying to a God who is a jerk? I'm not sure I understand the connection. Friends, these next verses are what makes this parable so beautiful and will empower us to pray when things are hard and when we experience mistreatment as we await Jesus' return. Jesus' parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge is using the how-much-more argument. Called an a fortiori argument, this logical reasoning is arguing from the lesser to the greater. This is the if, the, if A, then how much more B argument. An example from Luke 12, 28. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So basically what is being said is, if God provides for grass, which is short-lived and doesn't have any value, how much more will he care for you, who are eternal and incredibly valuable? This is what Jesus is doing in the parable of the persistent widow. Look at verses 7 and 8. If the unjust judge gives justice to someone he despises, how much more will the God of justice give justice to those he loves? God is how much more than the unjust judge in the parable. Whereas the judge gets beat down by the widow's persistence, God welcomes our persistence when we pray. Whereas the unjust judge gives justice reluctantly, God gives it joyfully. Whereas the judge only does it after a long period of time, God doesn't delay. God is encouraging us to pray persistently to come to him again and again when we are mistreated and when we experience injustice and when uh, we have things that are deeply burdensome. He will act not because we are an annoying disturbance to him, but because he loves us and he loves to act on our behalf. And yet, sometimes we don't understand why God acts in his timing and not ours or in the way that we think we deserve. Listen to Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. Here's what God says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God has a plan, and it is for our good. And there are times when we fight discouragement and despair, especially when we experience mistreatment and injustice. It's in those times when we can choose to believe the false portrayal that God is the unjust judge or the true portrayal that God is not only just, but he's also our loving father. The false portrayal will lead to discouragement and despair. The true portrayal will empower us to pray persistently. And not lose heart. And remember 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-9. through 9. It reminds us, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Could it be, could it be that God is delaying his justice in order to give our adversary the opportunity to repent and place their trust in Jesus 
Again, God is how much more than the unjust judge? If the unjust judge finally relents and grants the persistent widow's request, how much more will a just God grant the request of his followers who pray to him persistently? See how the how much more argument flips the entire parable? God isn't the unjust judge, but the, judge and lo- but the just and loving judge who acts on behalf of those who are his when they cry out to him both day and night. It's in those times of great difficulty when we draw near to the Lord, pouring out our requests and burdens to him, that he aligns our hearts with his, and we not only feel his presence, but also experience his tender care. Listen to James 4.8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And remember, friends, we are not the widow. Yes, we can be powerless and taken advantage of. We can feel like there is no one to protect us, and we do not need to learn, and sometimes we need to learn from the widow that sometimes the only tool we have at our disposal is our persistence. But we are more than that. We don't need to beg and grovel for God to act like the widow did with the unjust judge. Verse 7 tells us that we are God's elect. We aren't some random widow in some random town begging some random judge to act on our behalf. We are God's elect children. Listen to what he says of us in Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are God's elect. Because of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we are the ones who have responded to his good news. We have repented of our sins and placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We are the ones through the Holy Spirit who know we are in need of him. And we are the ones who recognize that our only hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, When we experience times when it feels like God is more of the unjust judge than our loving Father, we need to return to these verses. In them, we see the beauty of the how much more about God. But I think we can also say that of the widow. Because of Christ, you are more than the widow. You are God's elect child. We need to remember that too and to let that sink into our bones. So when we are mistreated and taken advantage of, when we're struggling to keep our eyes on Jesus, and when we are tempted to be discouraged and despair, when the kingdom Jesus promised to bring, the kingdom that we so long for seems so far off, we're called to pray and to pray some more and then keep praying with persistence. Knowing that the kingdom isn't yet functioning the way it will when Jesus comes back and consummates his kingdom. Knowing that in the meantime, we yearn for him to return and make all things new and to bring justice. It's then, in that desire, in the midst of our struggles, that Jesus calls us and encourages us and challenges us with verse 8 to persevere and to keep praying. In order to remain firmly rooted in the faith until Jesus returns, It is essential for us 
as God's elect children, to have a lifestyle of persistent prayer. The only question is, will we? Will we give evidence of our faith by having a lifestyle of persistent prayer? Will that lifestyle of persistent prayer propel us through times of mistreatment and hardship and injustice when we are discouraged and on the cusp of despair? Will we engage in prayer in times when we just want to give up? When Jesus returns, verse 8 tells us, he wants to find a praying people. Is that what he will find in us when he returns? A praying people? At the end of the day, the question is not whether or not God will be faithful. The question is whether we will be. As we close our time together today, I have found the Lord's Prayer to be of great help to me when it comes to thinking about how to pray when I see and experience mistreatment and injustice. We know, we know that this world doesn't yet function the way God intended. So Jesus, when he taught us to pray, included the section, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that prayer because we want earth to function as it currently does in heaven. We long for all things to be right and beautiful and functional. We long for Jesus to come back and make all things right. It's to that end that we now pray. So will you pray with me? I'll pray first and then we'll close our time together by praying the Lord's Prayer. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, I confess that I get caught up in my own things. I'm able to pray for a while when things get really bad. Lord, often in prayer, I I think of myself as a sprinter. And yet, Lord, you call us to be those who run the marathon, to be persistent, to always be seeking you out, When we see and when we experience mistreatment and injustice, Jesus, draw us, drive us to you. For you are our rock and our foundation. You are our citadel. You are the one that we go to. And you are not resistant. God, you are the one who loves our prayers. You are the one who loves to respond. You are the one who loves to act on your behalf and on our good. And so, Lord... Help us to be people of faithfulness. Help us to be people of persistent prayer, bringing before you all of our needs, all of our desires, align our hearts with yours, and act for your glory and for the good of your people. And now, people, let's join together in prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen.